ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blind Tag Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Nashheim. Today is going to be a great day. And if it's not a great day, you just need to fucking will it into existence. Woo! Last week was definitely a long episode, but we had a lot of fun in trying to predict the NBA playoffs. I will definitely be doing um, updates, not only on social media, on the Instagram page, but also in the episode as well, of how we are doing, or honestly, how bad we are doing, and let's do, you know, by the time this post, you know, this goes out, um, the first round will be up and running so let's look at how we did in the play-in games now in the eastern we'll go to eastern conference first eastern conference ryan and brady correctly predicted that brooklyn would defeat cleveland in the 7-8 matchup in the 9-10 matchup i was the only one who lost because i decided i'm going to go with charlotte and everyone else went with atlanta and then only Bennett correctly predicted Atlanta would get the eighth seed. Now, when it comes to the West, we were great with the 7-8 matchup. We all said Minnesota was going to beat uh, the Clippers. Only Brady had New Orleans beating San Antonio, and none of us had New Orleans getting the eighth seed. So, um, kind of scoring this based on, I think, like Yahoo, like March Madness or whatnot. So, in the Western and Eastern play-in, each correct answer is worth 25 points. In the first round, each series winner is 50 points and 20 bonus points for correct length. And that increases to 140 in the conference semifinals, 280 in the Conference Finals, 500 and 150 in the NBA Finals. And our standings are like this. Brady, out of a possible 150 points, got 100. Bennett and Ryan have 75 points, and I have 25. But, Bennett is already down one because he had Cleveland winning the 2-7 matchup. Cleveland is not going to win that matchup. Yeah. I'm sorry. They they're not, and the reason why they're not is because Brooklyn beat them. And then Atlanta beat Cleveland. So Cleveland's eliminated. So that means Bennett is already down, you know, in the first round, one matchup. So, next episode will probably be inserted somewhere in the middle or towards the end because the next two weeks we will have some very long episodes. We will have our NFL drafts, Draft Spectacular. It will be a two-round event. And then... The following week, we will have our Stanley Cup playoff prediction. 
kind of do the same thing just without a playing around and then after that we'll probably do a, a couple short episodes um this is going to be kind of a short episode as well based on the fact of the length of last week and the next two weeks i want to kind of balance it out you know kind of give a quick little palate cleanse and this week since is uh this episode will be airing on april 20th i decided let's look back at a interesting time in wrestling april 20th 1997 in your house 14 revenge of the taker That's what we'll do. We'll uh, explain a little bit about like what the in your house pay per views were in the next segment, which we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back, and we will be discussing Revenge of the Taker. Before we get back to the podcast, I want to give a shout out to Light Saturation for the awesome new intro that I found on pixabay.com. That is P-I-X-A-B-A-Y.com. You can find all type of royalty-free music for your podcast, backgrounds for videos, YouTube videos, all different type of genres on pixabay.com. That is P-I-X-A-B-A-Y.com. Alright, welcome back, and you know, this is going to be kind of a short episode, because next week we have the NFL Draft Special, which I'll have some panelists on here, and we're going to have some fun with a mock draft, a mock two-round draft, and also we're going to have, in two weeks, the Stanley Cup preview. I know I have several people lined up, so we're going to see what happens with that, but we're kind of booking both of these with kind of like shorter episodes nothing nothing too crazy or anything like that but we're going to talk about conveniently 25 years ago on April 20th 1997 live from the Rochester Community War Memorial Auditorium in Rochester New York in your house 14 revenge of the taker now um, for anyone who's not, wasn't fans back then, or as the case is some of my guests, you weren't alive, the, the In Your House pay-per-views was supp- supplemental shows, you know, before you had the Big Five, you had the Royal Rumble in January, you had WrestleMania in March or April, depending on what day it was. Then you had the King in a Ring, starting in 1993, you had the King in a Ring in June, SummerSlam in August, Survivor Series in November. But they decided, you know, let's, let's try to do, try to increase business a little bit. So they instituted what's called the In Your House. Now, all the regular pay-per-views were three hours. These were two-hour shows, and they cost significant. I won't say like 20 bucks, whereas the pay-per-view, the regular pay-per-views were 30. Right now. And, you know, matches you would normally not see on a pay-per-view, 
but were better than what should be on Raw at the time. That's that's what happened. So basically, those pay per views were kind of like the the building blocks to the Big Five, and there have been some very good ones. There has been some shitty ones, um, and a lot of the a lot of the pay per view names in the two thousands. If you look at the pay per view calendar, we'll just say two thousand two. February was No Way Out. That came from an In Your House title. Backlash. Uh, Judgment Day was an In Your House title. Fully Loaded was an In Your House title, although that got retired in 2001. Unforgiven was a In Your House. I was actually at the Unforgiven In Your House. Fun story. I got to see the Inferno match, and yes, it was hot. October Judgment Day, another in your house title, and then December was kind of loose until they went to Armageddon. So, um, but back then they kind of did the title, you know, the the subtitle of the in your house was based off like what was the main event or you know uh, the main draw of that event. The only the only exception was I want to say ninety five. They were supposed to. It was uh, in your house. It's time. No ninety six. Excuse me. Uh, in your December ninety six. It was in your house. It's time. Vader was meant to be in a prominent role, but backstage politics with the click decided to go yeah no so with that being said let's let's talk about what the card looked like um the card you had one match on the free-for-all which would now would be the pre-show on the on the network uh the sultan which the uh facing off against flash funk and in uh, the inter- interview, at the uh, pay-per-view proper, the Legion of Doom challenged Owen Hart and the British Bulldogs for the WWF Tag Titles. The inter- Intercontinental title was on the line as Savio Vega challenged Rocky Maivia. I wonder what happened to him. Jesse James faced off against Rockabilly, who was seconded by the Honky Tonk Man. The WWF Championship was put on the line as Mankind challenged The Undertaker. And then the number one contender to the WWF title to happen at the next uh, In Your House saw Stone Cold Steve Austin face off against Bret Hart in a rematch of a classic at WrestleMania 13. So, let's kind of go... You know, main main stories. So, the the real main there was two main stories. One of them was Steve Austin versus Bret Hart, and the Hart family really um, united after the double turn at WrestleMania. Uh, the Hart the Hart Foundation had been basically reformed 
but instead of just a tag team, it was a faction. It was a tag team in the 80s and early, early, early 90s as Bret Hart and uh, brother-in-law Jim Neidhart. Um, this is this is a family thing, including Owen Hart, Davy Boy Smith, and Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman was not a family member, but it was trained by Stu Hart, the uh, patriarch of the family. Um, and this this was the weirdest. I'm gonna go ahead and say this now. This is the this storyline could not happen today. And I'm not saying that there was anything bad or anything like, you know, time sensitive. Like, you know, you say something in 1997, you look back now and go, we said that. Um, But the thing was, you had a situation where Bret Hart was a bad guy in only the US if they had a show in Canada oh they were the biggest good guys and vice versa you had people like the Legion of Doom who at this point in their careers you really they had to do something very despicable to be booed and they go to Canada to face the Bulldog and Owen and they're booed out the building because they're going against the hearts. It was U.S. versus Canada. And Brett didn't want to be a heel everywhere else because, you know, he's beloved in Canada. He's beloved all over the world. It was just the American fans that were turning on him. So they did it, and it, it was brilliant TV. Brilliant. Cannot be done now, especially in the overscripted. Uh, situation that you you have in the WWE. Oh, and which reminds me, I will be saying WWF. It's because at this time they were still the WWF. Um, that got changed in May of 2002 after they lost a court case to the World Wildlife Fund. That's right, the group that tries to help the wildlife which is founded in England, or the United Kingdom, was upset that the WWF kept using show, doing shows in England. So when it goes, oh, we're going to a WWF event. All right, we're going to talk about saving the pandas. And next thing you know, you got Steve Austin drinking, drinking beers. I mean, I, I could understand it, but I think they skirted around the law way too much, and that's... That's what happened. Um, the other uh, main story was The Undertaker and Mankind. Um, this feud started at the um, Raw after WrestleMania in 1996, after WrestleMania 12. Um, he attacked The Undertaker. After um, his match against um, Bradshaw, I want to say it was Justin Hawk Bradshaw. It was the character, excuse me, the character he was portraying at the time. And you know, then at the King of the Ring, they met at the 
96, they met in their first encounter, Mankind won. So this really escalated it until SummerSlam 96, when The Undertaker and Mankind met in the first ever Boiler Room Brawl, which saw The Undertaker's manager, Paul Bearer, turn his back on The Undertaker after, I want to say, five years. Uh, but fast forward, The Undertaker is now the WWF Champion, having won the title despite the fact of not having Paul Bearer. So, Bearer come out, try to play, ooh, yeah, uh, try, trying to ask him for forgiveness and take him back. But Undertaker said, ha, 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 no. Mankind came out, attacked the Undertaker. This led to the match. I know. Simple. Simple kind of storyline. Storytelling. Now, like I said, the free-for-all, which was, you know, back in the day with, you know, getting it on cable, your local cable provider or satellite provider, 30 minutes... Oh, excuse me. 30 minutes before the pay-per-view, they would have this thing called a free-for-all or they would do like the last minute. Hey, you've only got 20 minutes left. You better call your cable provider or your satellite provider because you're not going to want to miss this. Oh, and here's a match for you, too. Um, the match saw the Sultan, who is now, you know, after... Uh, had played several gimmicks in the WWF prior, but his most famous one is Rikishi. Yes. Go back and watch. If you can find a free-for-all match, go back. You're going to see the Sultan and go, Okay. I can see it now. Uh, defeated Flash Funk, um, known to more hardcore fans as Two Cold Scorpio. So... I think this match lasted like, yeah, almost three minutes. So, oh, I forgot to tell you the, um, you know, you have uh, the commentary team was Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and Jerry Lawler. You, Howard Finkel was handling the ring announcing and interviewing backstage Doc Hendricks, or as everyone knows him as, Michael P.S. Hayes. So, Let's get right to it. I think we'll take a quick break. And then we're going to talk about the pay-per-view.
Alright, welcome back. And let's get started talking about the pay-per-view. Like I said, first off you have Owen Hart and the British Bulldog defending the WF Tag Titles against the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal. Uh, Owen and the Bulldog after reconciling and joining with the Hart uh, with Bret Hart. They defended their tag titles against Vader and Mankind at WrestleMania in a we have nothing for you, why don't we throw them together and give it a double DQ finish. Yeah, it was or double count out finish. It wasn't a good match to be honest with you. Um LOD on the other hand, they were teaming with Ahmed Johnson in a Chicago street fight that had the strange task of following the Bret Hart uh, Steve Austin match which was but that was you know what was it talking about everything but the kitchen sink and next thing you know LOD come out with the kitchen sink like that that was awesome not sure if it was used I'm gonna have to go back and watch that match again and see if it was used but um This match was 12 minutes and 16 seconds in, in length. Uh, the LOD appeared to have won, win the title when they pinned Bulldog after a Doomsday device, but the match continued because Owen was the legal man, not Davey. Then Bret Hart attacked the referee, causing Owen the Bulldog to be disqualified. LOD defeats Bulldog and Owen by disqualification but they retain their titles because you cannot win on a DQ see I th this was basically trying to establish that the um, new part foundation was going to be a dominant force and they really didn't care if if they won matches or not as long as they kept the titles as long as they kept gold around their waist and it was it was, it was a kind of a clunky match but you know can't can't really blame it so the uh, LOD will go on to feud with the hearts till about July and then I think they would have one more rain afterwards in October, but so the next matchup, Rocky Maivia. Now, Rocky Maivia, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Um, he was he'd been the Intercontinental Champion since the middle of Thursday Raw, Thursday in February. You know, the event most famously known for Shawn Michaels losing his smile. Um, it was really starting to not be, endear himself to the fans. He was playing a white meat baby face. Oh, I'm going to do everything the right way in 1997, which was really being um, geared towards more reality base. And the fans were really just like 
they they really saw through that and didn't get now granted this also meant a lot of die rocky die chance which was really you you know I don't, I don't care what area you're in you don't want to do that you want to boot a person yeah, yeah yeah you buy your ticket you you say say what you want but there's limits and the limits are if you wish bodily harm on anybody that's a limit you don't cross but he was defending against Salvio Vega, who was supported by his stablemates within the Nation of Domination. Ow. During the match, uh, Crush interfered and hit uh, Maivia with a heart punch. And then Maivia was counted out and lost the match, but remained champion. After the match, the entire Nation of Domination attacked Maivia until Ahmed Johnson came out and tried to... Uh, you know, clear the ring. So, one thing I, I, I'm thinking is, you have a pay-per-view. I know it's 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 a shorter show, but here's here's the thing: your first two matches, and you don't have a clear winner in either one of them. So you're already pissing off some of the fans. I know, I know, you know, you're trying to use this match to further the Ahmed Johnson versus Nation Domination storyline. But you're not. I mean, you're you're doing it at the expense of one of your youngest stars. So, that's okay. Um, it's really, I, I, I don't... I didn't understand it. I mean, I understood it then. But I really don't understand it now. Um, because I'm also looking at these matches in more of a, you know, different frame of mind. An older frame of mind. Um, yeah. Rocky would lose the title in two days or uh, eight days on TV, uh, he would lose the Intercontinental title to Owen Hart and then would actually get injured and take a couple months off until he decided to tell the fans to basically kiss my ass. You want me to die? I want you to die. And then The Rock was born. And this was the biggest, um, you know, one of the things that really made him honestly um the next match was the was is the filler uh double j jesse james defeated rockabilly with a small package now i there's a, a lot i gotta talk about this so double j jesse james this is his pre-road dog phase um he became double j jesse james after jeff jarrett left for WCW Jesse James was the roadie and then he I guess Vince in his wisdom of okay you know Jeff screwed us so okay yeah he never really sang the song it was this guy he's the real double J and then it really just yeah uh, Rockabilly on the other hand the honky talk man had been looking for a protege for four months and this is what he found. 
Billy Gunn. Fresh off of turning on his brother Bart and then floundering in the mid-card, or the lower mid-card, if you really think about it. Um, in fact, these two would have numerous matches, which the fans would not care about. And then, all of a sudden, on one episode of Shotgun Saturday Night, James had a proposition. Hey, you're getting screwed over. I'm getting screwed over. Why don't we become a tag team? And then the rest is outlaw history. Um, like I said, this was... It was a match. It was. Um, rumor in innuendo says that the protege of the Honky Talk Man was supposed to be Disco Inferno. Um, played by Glenn Gilberti. But he re-signed with WCW. And that's how we got Billy Gunn. Yeah. I mean, it it led to the formation of one of the best tag teams in WWF history, but it was a painful origin story, to be honest with you. Uh, next up, The Undertaker defeated Mankind. Hit him, hit him with the Tombstone Power Driver to retain the title. And then decided to get some revenge on Bear. He shot a fireball into Bear's face. Even flash paper and all that. But there was some stumbling. And it, it kind of, you know, when you're trying to like stumble to execute. You know, it, it kind of defeats the illusion. But I mean, the effect was still there. Uh, Bear was just like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And Undertaker was like, well, that's what you get. Um, Undertaker and Mankind never had a bad... Um, Mark Calloway and Mick Foley never had a bad match together. I mean, they'd had, they had instant chemistry. And, you know, this show, even if this you count one of their weaker matches, even in the weaker matches, it's still better than a lot of stuff that was out there I'm just saying um, The Undertaker would go on to retain you know hold the title for a few more months until SummerSlam now this was his first defense um, after winning the title from Psycho Sid and we're going to call it a very underwhelming main event because it it had to follow Austin Hart and the Chicago Street Fight. See, I understand. Now, and the reason why this situation, honestly, that could be another episode if you think about it. But it was supposed to be Hart versus Michaels, but Michaels lost a smile. So then that basically had to rewrite WrestleMania, and then this is, this is what came up with. And you know they did the, they did the best they could, but um, the Undertaker was really in his own in 1997, and you know now we're just going into who's wait who's Paul Bear talking about? 
this this kind of laid the, this attack laid the groundwork for the reveal of Kane. Now, in the main event, Steve Austin defeated uh, fought Bret Hart during the match. Bulldog ran in, hit Austin with a chair. Austin won the match by DQ. I mean, it wasn't the masterpiece that uh, the previous month was. Um, this was also where um, I'm trying to think what's the best way to put it. Austin really targeted Brett's knees and decided to um, apply the sharpshooter on him until um, now I think this was done to write him off of, of in ring action because of you know I think he needed some uh, I want to say I think he needed like uh, a, a knee knee surgery or something like that. He needed something done, so they kind of they kind of booked themselves in a corner with this, but they wanted to give the rematch, and this set up Austin versus the Undertaker on a pay per view scale. And this, honestly, I think this the one next month was one of their uh, best matchups. Excuse me. Now, this rivalry between Austin and the Hearts will go on all the way through Survivor Series. And conveniently, not convenient, but weird, is that he was feuding with Brett and then literally in July shifted to Owen. And then SummerSlam happened the accident and then Survivor Series he comes back wins the Intercontinental title but you know it's on the same night as the screw job so I mean all in all it was it, it was it was a decently received pay-per-view Let me uh, give you some other context, and we got to talk about Mr. Dave Meltzer. So, Dave Meltzer gave the tag title match between the Bulldog, uh, the Hart Foundation, and the LOD three-quarter star. Rocky Maivia versus Savio Vega, three-quarters of a star. How the hell Rockabilly versus Jesse James got one and a quarter star is beyond me. Uh, the final two matches, the uh, WF title match, and then the main event, three and three quarter star. So, I mean, 
which is par for the course around this time, uh, especially with the uh, in your houses. You have situations where it's basically based around one or two matches, and the rest of them just filler. Um, but it is what it is. And, you know, this was around the time where they were really starting to find their attitude. And I can't, I can't believe it's been 25 years. Um, which, which I'm going to tell you, there's going to be an episode I'm going to do in July. And it's going to be about Canadian Stampede. That was one of the best non-Big 5 pay-per-views that WWF have ever produced. So, I think we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Alright, welcome back, and so that was Revenge of the Taker, and um, like I said, it's, it was a different time, um, the heel-face dynamic was, you know, especially with the Bret Hart, uh, with the Hart Foundation, um, was very strange, strange in a good way, um, fans didn't realize it then, I, I don't think they realized it then, but it was like, very unique and yeah it, it, it could not be done today especially in the age of social media um could not be done uh, i mean the closest you're going to get is a 50 50 split crowd but then again we had that with uh, john cena to a lesser extent roman reigns and then more recently cody rhodes and aew um towards the end of his run there. It's a, another thing I want to quickly bring up. I have no idea what the hell WWE is doing, but they apparently have made a decree that you can't, they don't want you to use your real name or a name you use on the independent circuit. Okay. If that was a decree to future hirees, that's fine. If that was a decree to people who have been hired but have not yet made their TV debut, okay. But, no, that's to everybody. So now, Raquel Gonzalez is Raquel Rodriguez. Like, really? Uh, Gunter, well, I'm sorry, Walter is now Gunter, um, the other member of Imperium that got called up, I can't remember off the top of his name, but it got Ludwig something, and they recently changed, uh, Raul Mendoza's name, uh, they're changing Kaylee Ray's name, uh, Casey Catanzaro's name, like, Casey Catanzaro is an established name from American Ninja Warrior. You hired her 
because of her name recognition and now you're saying her name recognition is not good enough okay then she then she should have got a name change when she got hired that's honestly the way I look at it um It's definitely um, conversations that I've had with definitely Matt and Bennett. Um, like, I, I think it's stupid. I, I really do. Um, imagine that next week, AJ Styles comes out and goes, I don't know who that guy was before, but my name is Joe Bob Billy. Fans will go, <laughs> no. You, uh, Pete Dunn, the Bruiserweight, has made several appearances on main roster programming, and now he gets caught up as Butch. Like, I don't, I don't know what the hell their problem is, but it's a problem. And I think they're afraid that talents like, uh, say, you know, you know, back, you know, back when the NXT, the the real NXT era, not the one that's going on now, uh, when they were trying to build it into a legitimate third brand, um, you had the out Adam Cole's, the Kyle O'Reilly's, the Bobby Fishes. The Samoa Joes, the Roderick Strongs, the Bobby Roods, which I'm waiting for his name to be changed. Um, I'm trying to think of other. So you have those who would use their name, established names in the Indies, and that got them over with the WWE audience. Now it's. They don't care about that, and they're. I think this is, uh, they're afraid that some of these talents that go, uh, Kushida just uh, left. And I think it's more of a contract, but his name was probably going to get changed. Like, they already basically disrespected him. I put him in a tag team with Hikaru Jira. Like, I'm sorry. I was disrespectful. You have one of the best junior heavyweights in the world. And you throw them together in tag team with him because they're Japanese. That's yeah. I, I plan on doing an episode about NXT 2.0 and the comparing it to NXT. So, or as I'm gonna call it, you have four versions of NXT: the game show era, the developmental era, the black and gold era. And the redevelopmental era. That's what they're in now. So we're gonna do that in the future. We'll have some time to kill in the summer. So but with that being said, next week, NFL draft special, and two weeks from now, our Stanley Cup preview. My name is Kyle Nash. I'm this has been the Blind Tag Podcast. I hope you have a great rest of your day.